At the end of a meal which had concluded with the offer of Kit Kats and Mars bars, dispensed from a small red plastic box, he took his two dogs out into the garden. A few minutes later he returned, wished everyone good night, and retired theatrically from the public space of the drawing room into the privacy of his bedroom. Half an hour later I was walking up the frosty path from the main building to the guest house in the garden. The atmosphere was absolutely still. A fox shrieked in the distance. I stopped for a moment and looked up at the clear winter sky. I was struck by how many stars I could see. Great Missenden was less than an hour's drive from London, but the lights of the city seemed far, far away. Some cows stirred in a nearby field. I looked about me. Gentle hills curved around the garden on all sides. At the top of the lane a vast beechwood glowered. The dark outline of the five-hundred-year-old yew-tree that had inspired fantastic Mr. Fox loomed over me. In the orchard moonlight glinted on the gaily painted gypsy caravan that he had recreated in Danny the Champion of the World. An owl fluttered low into the yew. I turned and opened the door to my room. Soon I found myself examining the books in the bookcase by my bedside. There was certainly no biography here. Most of it was crime fiction, Ed McBain, Agatha Christie, Ellery Queen, Dick Francis. As I pulled out a volume, I noticed some ghost stories too, an insect encyclopedia, the diary of a Victorian priest, and a book of poetry by D. H. Lawrence. All of the books looked as if they'd been read. I reflected again on our exchange over dinner, and wondered whether Roald had actually met Stravinsky. Perhaps he had simply made that remark to disconcert me. Before I switched off the light, I remember thinking that next day I would flush him out. I would ask him how he'd come to have lunch with the great composer. Needless to say, I got distracted and forgot to do so. It was then February 1986. I'd known Dahl six months. The previous autumn, as a fledgling documentary director in the BBC's Music and Arts Department, I had proposed making a film about him for Bookmark, the corporation's flagship literary programme. Nigel Williams, the producer, himself an established playwright and novelist, had decided that the Christmas edition of the show would be devoted to children's literature. Twenty-five years ago this was still a field that many people in the UK arts affected to despise, and for once none of the programme's older, more experienced directors seemed keen to put forward any ideas. I was the most junior on the team. I wanted desperately to make a film. Any film. So I took my chance. It was an obvious suggestion. A portrait of the most famous and successful living children's writer. The motivation, however, behind my plan was largely opportunistic. At that point I'd read none of Dahl's children's fiction other than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. On the other hand, as a thirteen-year-old, I'd read most of his adult short stories, feasting on them with concentrated relish from behind a school desk during maths lessons. My adolescent mind had reveled in their grotesqueries, their complex twists and turns, and their spare, elegant, strangely sexy prose. I remember Nigel Williams's smile, how he looked at me when I mentioned Roald Dahl. It was knowing, almost wicked.
Okay, he said, if you can persuade him to do it. I paused. Was he thinking about money? The program had a tiny budget and always paid its contributors the most modest of disturbance fees. It wasn't cash, however, that was on Nigel's mind. You know his reputation, he asked rhetorically. Unbelievably grumpy and difficult. He'll never agree to take part. I nodded, although this was actually news to me, for my impression of Dahl the man at that point was in fact one of singular lightness. Four years earlier, while I was an undergraduate, he had taken part in a debate at the Oxford Union. Romance is bunk, was the motion. Dahl had contributed to it memorably, arguing that romance was no more than a euphemism for the human sex drive. He was a great entertainer, witty, subversive, and often risque.